Have you ever met someone who, in order to receive a life-saving treatment, had to appeal to one of the highest elected officials in the United States? I have, and her story is inspiring but all too indicative of the state of healthcare around the world. This tenacious spoonie is none other than Chronic Jen, at Chronic Jen on Instagram. Jen has primary immunodeficiency, impostural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, quite the combination to have in the midst of a worldwide pandemic. But that hasn't stopped her from sharing the priceless advice she's learned through her own advocacy work. And she also inadvertently shares one of the best chronic illness dating tips I've ever heard. So let's head on down to the bayou and talk to this advocate extraordinaire in this week's episode of The Chronic Illness Playbook. Welcome, and everything is fine on this week's episode of the Chronic Illness Playbook. I'm very excited to welcome Chronic Jen at Chronic Jen on Instagram to the program today. Uh, she has primary immunodeficiency and postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, and an absolutely amazing Instagram, amazing blog. If you haven't checked her out, uh, chronicgen.com, go check her out. Uh, the reason I really want to talk to you today, Jen is I really dig your holistic approach to chronic illness on your blog, on your Instagram. You really focus on the mind, body, and soul of chronic illnesses, uh, both for people who have primary immunodeficiency and POTS, and then just the wider chronic illness community at large. So that's really why I wanted to have you on the program today. Um, so uh, first of all, welcome. And if you could just take us through a quick little elevator pitch of your chronic illnesses and how long you've had them. Sure. So um, I my first diagnosis was um, a form of primary immunodeficiency called an antibody deficiency. So those are genetic diseases that um, that either part or all of the immune system is missing. So in my case, I just don't build antibodies to pathogens. And we're talking about that right now with COVID. Um, so I can keep getting the same pathogen over and over and over again. Um, now, primary immunodeficiencies tend to lead to other comorbidities. And um, I was recently diagnosed with POTS earlier this year and um, also with chronic neopathic yeah. hives. Yeah, there's a big POTS community on Instagram. So <laughs> that was very helpful when I got diagnosed. Um, so yeah, I think I've been living with a lot of the signs of this for as far back as, um, I can look back to, you know, uh, 10, 11 years ago and find some of the early signs, but, you know, especially the primary immunodeficiency, it's so rare that it took, um, a really long time, even with a great team of physicians to figure it out. So. Oh yeah. No, I mean, when I was diagnosed with POTS, um, I was lucky enough to grow up in Cleveland. So we had like the Cleveland clinic Yes. and, I, you know, anytime I got sick or hurt, it's like, oh, you're fixed like that. But when it came, when it came to my pots, it was a long time. And it was, it's like, you guys are supposed to be the best. Like what's, what's going on here? Like, so no, I feel so you. subtle. It's so subtle sometimes to, to that nuance of diagnostics is, it's not easy. So uh, primary immunodeficiency, is that correct? Yes, correct. So uh, this is one of my favorite questions. Um, it is, I like to call it the Michael Scott question. Uh, explain primary immunodeficiency to me as if I'm five. Like, how do you explain that to 
people who who don't know antibodies, pathogens, that type of thing? Sure. So um, thankfully, I have nieces and nephews, so I'm used to explaining this to somebody a little bit younger. Um, so when I bacteria or germ or something of that type gets into your body, normally your immune system has different mechanisms to fight it off. Um, they have T cells, which are the, you know, the, the frontline invaders that go after it to kill it. And then you have your B cells, which come after the fact to build what's called an antibody. And an antibody recognizes that pathogen if it ever comes back. And so you have the, the initial response to T cell, they're the frontline. And then the B cell is like the watchdog after the fact to make sure that it never happens. And with my deficiency, my B cells don't function properly. So my watchdogs don't work well when that pathogen keeps coming back. So my T cells can act right away, but I keep getting sick with the same germs over and over again. And because I don't have those, that watchdog to keep an eye out, then sometimes those infections can either be very persistent or they can be um, sometimes very severe. Got it. So for you, you really like with POTS, and, and I mean, you may experience this with POTS, you would have like a POTS type flare where it's definitely the symptoms of POTS acting up. But for the primary immunodeficiency, if I'm understanding this correctly, it's not a thing that acts up. It's sort of like a swinging gate that lets the infections come in and out, that type of thing. Yes. So there's over 400 different primary immunodeficiency diagnoses. So they're all a little bit different. Um, mm-hmm. But with mine in particular, um, it's it's not that the symptoms would would vary different than say if you you know if it's a case of strep throat well i'll still get the same symptoms as a normal case of strep throat but that strep throat could require months of antibiotics to clear up or it could um travel to another part of the body and you become septic more easily than the average person or even just you know short cases of it and get it maybe seven times in a year as opposed to somebody's one time in seven years Got it. And so for you, what's a, do you have like, I, I also, I don't know if you can hear them a little stuffy at times. Uh, I do get chronic sinus infections, uh, not crazy amount, but like two or three a year. I have to do nose rinses and all that good type of stuff. Do you have not a favorite infection, but is there like a <laughs> most common one that always pops up for you? Yes. Mine is actually um, usually chronic sinus infections as well. I had a lot of issues, I would say more so with um, with like tonsillitis before I had my tonsils out. This was before I was diagnosed. Um, and then after my tonsils were removed, we thought the infections would clear, but in fact, they actually just traveled up into my sinus cavity. <laughs> so um, so I, I actually got a lot of streptococcus infections in my sinuses. And sometimes they would be there with other types of bacteria. So I would have like a, an aerobic and anaerobic bacteria in the infection at the same time. Woof. <laughs> how, how, how old were you when you got your uh, tonsils out? Were you late? It was later in life? Yes. Actually, it was um, maybe two years ago. So oh, it was okay. that long ago. It was right before I got diagnosed. So It's, it's terrible. I got mine out <laughs> at, at 21 and like they, they told me, I mean, I don't know if uh, your experience was, but when I got mine out, they were like, oh, everybody who's young, who gets it, they give you like ice cream and popsicles and you're fine. And they're like, as an adult, it sucks. 
you're going to like not sleep. It's going to bleed. And I'm like, Oh God, like don't <laughs> leave them in. I'm sorry. My ENT, um, told me before the surgery that I would probably hate him afterwards, at least for a week or so. And when I came in for my follow-up and saw him, he gave me his shoulder and he's like, if you want to punch me, I'll allow it. It's okay. <laughs> um, so he knew he, he definitely warned me ahead of time. It was, pr- and it, it lived up to his warnings for sure. Got it. Oh, well that, that was very nice of him. My, my guy wouldn't let me hit him. I don't, I don't know. We didn't have that a relationship. I didn't take up the offer, but I had a feeling that he looked at me and it was pretty small and he's like, she can't really hit that hard. I'm sure. <laughs> it was, it was a gesture. Yeah. It was. So, so if you get, you know, these, these sinus infections, you know, that's, that's sort of like a, a flare type thing for primary immunodeficiency for you. Uh, what's your canary in the coal mine? What's the first symptom that you can feel where you're like, Oh, I'm heading down that sinus infection road. Very strangely. Um, when I'm getting, when I'm starting to get sick, the first thing actually acts up is my ears. My ears will start to hurt. Um, and so I don't know if I, if I also get a lot of maybe a little, like some minor ear infections alongside some of the other f- infections. Yeah. So I know, I know that I'm about to get sick if I'm, um, if my ear starts hurting, um, like my inner ear and, um, and then usually by the next morning, it's the congestion, the, you know, the scratchy throat or whatever it may be with that infection. Oh yeah. Oh, so you, we're, we're just going to slowly walk through the process you get that sinus infection, you start heading down that road. Um, what is the, so it's knocked you down. Your first things that you do, what's your first like comfort meal? Is there anything that you run to that makes you feel better having this, the sinus infection? Yes. So I'm from Louisiana, of course. And, um, gumbo is really big here. And, um, so the seafood gumbo is what most people think of, but we Mm -hmm. also do a chicken and sausage gumbo. That's kind of like a home cooked meal. And it's very, um, it's it's warm, it's comforting. It's got a good flavor to it, but it also has a little bit of just a little bit of spice to it. So if you're a little congestion, it really kind of helps clear things out a little bit. So that's that's cool. Go to. So I'm ignorant I grew up in Ohio and my mother's Irish. So we didn't eat anything besides like meat and potatoes. Uh, So gumbo, what I know, I know it's spicy. I've seen true blood. They've had gumbo in there. You know, (laughs) the true detective, those type of things. But what, what's gumbo? This is just for me. People listening probably know, but it's, so it's kind of a soup, but it's also served over rice. So it's, um, so it's like a rice and, soupy kind of dish, but you can have a seafood variant where it's like shrimp and, um, maybe oysters and and then okra and lots of seasoning in it. Um, or a lot of locals also do a chicken and sausage version. Um, that's just very like hearty and comforting. It's a cold, it's our cold weather food. So. Got it. And so you've got this gumbo and it's got that little spice and it's opening up those sinuses. First entertainment. TV show, movie, what do you turn on? Ooh, um, lately, probably The Good Place. Um, oh, I love yeah. that show. It's, it's so um, funny, but also just a really great tone and theme throughout the whole thing. So uh, it's definitely one of my comfort shows, and it's a favorite to rewatch. So you've got The Good Place on. You've got, you know, Tahani, Kristen Bell, Chidi, who has been my spirit animal all week. 
I have been just, you know, this bundle of nerves like Chidi. <laughs> for, for people listening after the fact, this is the uh, uh, the first week in November, first full week in November of 2020. So do the math, figure out what's going on. Uh, so you've got these guys in front of you. Mike Schur's making you feel good. Ted Danson's being funny. First call, first text. Who's that first person? Probably my significant other for, for two reasons. Um, obviously, you know, I love him. We've been together a long time. He knows the obviously of, of everything. Um, but he's also a physician. So, um, oh. so my, my, um, first instinct is just kind of like a, okay, this is what I'm going on. Is it time to reach out to my healthcare providers? You know, we, we kind of have a, a unspoken rule where, um, he doesn't prescribe for me. He doesn't get involved in my care. Um, because it's not really his specialty, but, but just to keep things separated from him, but, um, but he's also a great resource when it's like, okay, is it time to go in to see someone or no? And it helps me gauge that. Well, good, good job by you, you know, getting in with somebody who's a <laughs> physician. My, my wife is in advertising, so she can tell me how to brand my pots. Maybe <laughs> I'm in marketing too. So it's like, okay. Yes. Yeah. Well, he was actually very instrumental in um, helping me get my diagnosis. So we were um, we were already together for a couple of years at the time that my health really started to go downhill. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, he would come home from his residency training at night after working a long day and being on call and dig through these labs with me and say, OK, maybe we need to check this or do that. Or so uh, um, he was a big part of that process. I'm very lucky to have had that help that I know a lot of people don't necessarily have in the same household as them. So your advice here is go to the medical school and just hang around and find somebody attractive, <laughs> and take them out for a drink. That That's great advice. That's absolutely great advice. Not a bad idea if you need to get down to the bottom of an illness. No, so, I, especially I if it's a rare it. one, you'll catch the interest. <laughs> at least... At least their intellectual interest. So yeah, you got to get them in med school when they're they're still you know reading everything <laughs> and know everything that's going on. Everything's new. They're fresh. Exactly. So you've got this. You're you're on the couch. You've got the gumbo. Texting the boyfriend. Good places on. What's in your sort of flare bag of tricks um, for you to get rid of a sinus infection or any of your other types of infections? And if you want to focus on sinus infection as somebody with chronic or chronic sinus infections perfectly fine, willing to take all of the information you have. So, Perfect. So um, I know you mentioned um, the sinus rinses, so that's one of my first go-tos, but I, I use the Neti bottle, not the pot, because the bottle has more pressure. So mm-hmm. it actually gets your sinuses out a little bit better. Um, Vicks, um, I probably at this point should have bought stock in Vicks. Um, <laughs> but um, so I, I make these little shower steamers, Mm. with oh, the vapor rub. I did. Yeah. I have a recipe for it on my website. Um, but yeah, so if, you, if you're having a really bad sinus infection, you need a little help clearing it. I make the Vicks um, shower steamers and I just stand in a hot shower with it for as long as it takes for the steamer to go out, which is, I mean, it, they last quite a while. So very easy to make. Um, so, so those are my two sinus infections. Um, if it's anything that is throat related or anything like that. I go straight for the, um, warm tea with a little bit of honey. Um, cause that's a great resource. I mean, a lot of the staples that, that most people know, you know, in their day to day lives, I mean, it's the same for us. It's just that I'll have to go 
see a, a provider pretty quickly for antibiotics where most providers for, for a healthy person would probably say, try to let it clear on its own first and not overuse the antibiotics. Got it. And then for POTS, uh, what's sort of your, your flare regimen for that? What have you found that's worked for you? I love my high. So it's an electrolyte um, replacement, uh, very similar to things of the strain of like liquid IV or um, well, I can't think of some other ones right now. But um, I'm, a, I'm a drip drop uh, person. I, I swear by it. I haven't tried my high. I got to put that on my list. I just came across this week, actually, and I was taking a look at it. So I will have to try that one as well. Um, my high, I came across actually through PI group, or primary immunodeficiency group, because people use it for side effects for our infusion therapy. Mm. And I was already hooked on it for my side effects by the time I got diagnosed with POTS. And when I looked at the, the nutritional value and saw the sodium content, I was like, gosh, this is perfect. Okay. Oh, yeah. No, these things are they're packed. Um, that's, that's great. And any, anything else other than the my highs? Are you a, are you a compression, uh, sock person? You know, I'm still, um, kind of getting my bearings with pots a little bit more. Um, that one's a newer diagnosis. I just got it a few months ago. So the compression socks I've, um, I've been trying to, to, um, use those a little bit more, but I feel like I, I have to almost build a tolerance to it. Um, cause I'm, I'm not used to it. So that yeah, one I've been more you're finally getting back to not being, you know, you're getting your land legs from having your pot <laughs> sea legs for so long. Yeah, there is a little equilibrium you need to get back to. Exactly. That's great. And then uh, a big part of, uh, especially for pots and then other chronic illnesses, is trying to destigmatize these seemingly embarrassing things uh, so that people don't feel so alone. Uh, have you encountered something that's kind of embarrassing or slightly embarrassing with uh, either your primary immunodeficiency or POTS that you wouldn't normally tell people, but you're going to tell people here because it may be able to help them? Oh, definitely with the primary immunodeficiency. I mean, with the with the constant infections, I had um, like one or two years straight almost where I was like constantly full of mucus. Mm. Um, and mm. with it would build up so much that I would have like, I, I like this like mucus stuff in my throat while I was talking and I have to like cough it. Like I'd start like coughing out of nowhere in the middle of conversations and just, it was so gross. I would have to stop a conversation and go like cough up mucus into, um, into a sink or something like get rid of it. But, um, but yeah, definitely that's happened to me numerous times in the workplace, um, <laughs> Uh, out on a date with my boyfriend, um, you know, it was, uh, it was, it was just constant mucus. And I felt like that little character in the Mucinex commercials, the little, the little mucus ball that's always invading. I yeah. felt like I was just him incarnated in a person. So it was very gross. It was very embarrassing all the time to be like, Oh, I have music, mucus. Let me, <laughs> let me go run for a minute. I'll be back. <laughs> hey, but the guy stuck around. So, you know, he's a keeper. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, yeah, I don't know that other people were, were as cool with it as <laughs> he was. <laughs> oh, that's funny. And so, you know, thank you for sharing that. We, we went across a little bit or went over a little bit of the flares, a little bit of the embarrassing things. Uh, have there been any, been any positive things that have come from your chronic illness? 
Certainly. Um, I have found the most spectacular supportive community, both just with primary immunodeficiency alone and with um, POTS and chronic illness in general, um, first through the Immune Deficiency Foundation and then later on through um, Instagram and my blog and really just starting something for myself that turned into um, this great community around me that I didn't expect to find. Um, and it's it's been a lot easier to manage the illnesses when you have that supportive community around you. Oh yeah. No, that's, that's definitely a huge thing. Um, and then just having the primary immunodeficiency and POTS, uh, any big life lessons, building block things that, uh, they've taught you? It has definitely taught me that it is okay to give your permi- yourself permission to rest. Um, you know, I grew up as a straight A student and an elite gymnast at the same time. So I was just the epitome of you have to go, go, go it all the time. And, you know, from the time you wake up, time you go to sleep at night, you have to be doing something productive. And, um, so when I got sick, that mentality was very difficult to, to get rid of. And it, um, it was, very mentally exhausting to feel like I needed to do something, but when reality I needed to rest. And, um, and so that's been the biggest lesson for me. Oh yeah. No, I, I feel you there. Um, so we, we talked a lot about, uh, you mentioned, uh, Vicks, you've mentioned your, your, the bottle, the squeeze bottle for the nose, the netty bottle. Is there one product that you use absolutely every day that you can't live without? Um, the My High is daily. That is definitely daily. Um, in terms of anything else, I don't think there's anything else that I use every day. Oh, Zyrtec um, for the chronic hives. Yeah. So I do, I use the the My High and Zyrtec for chronic hives. That's a, that's a, that's a good combination. I do the drip drop and then Zaxol or Zizol or the allergy one word xyz i don't know what it's called i just you know point to it on the thing and the doctors then tell me what it's <laughs> called it's like whatever it's that one it's on the chart you know what it is and so then uh in in going through your blog and going through your instagram i'm going to combine a couple questions on this one uh you've created sort of a routine with your infusions uh, having people over, watching movies, doing that type of thing. Can you walk us through that and kind of let us know where that came from and what you've gained from that? Sure. So um, a little background, I do immunoglobulin replacement infusions every Monday. Um, it's a plasma-based product that replaces the antibodies um, that your body doesn't naturally make. So um you know, when I first started doing those infusions, I guess it's it's over a year ago now. Um, one, I had to get over the fear of sticking myself, and then two, I had to kind of get into the the mentality of I'm going to do this all the time, and I need to keep myself motivated to do it. So um, I'm actually supposed to have somebody on hand with me at all times because with it being a um, plasma based based product, each lot of medication has a risk for anaphylaxis. So oh. I have an F10 and, um, I keep somebody at my house just in case I need somebody there to dial 911. Um, but it's also a comfort thing too. So, um, so to keep myself motivated and, and like feeling good about doing it that day, I watch a movie, something I want to watch that day. 
and I have something for dinner that, um, you know, I enjoy. And lately, um, I recently had a, a little snafu where, um, when I pulled a needle out, I accidentally nicked an artery and it was like, blood was like spurting out. It was in the moment I was like very oh, cool no. about it because the person sitting with me was, um, was a medical professional and she was very chill about it. <laughs> so she kept me, she kept me very calm. She's like, Oh, it's fine. Here's some gauze. Um, yeah. but but after the fact, um, I was very nervous to do the infusions again. So lately I've been like getting a, a burger and fries <laughs> from my favorite, um, you know, takeout from one of my favorite places near my house. Um, normally I wouldn't have like eaten such greasy food all the time. on like every, like every single Monday, but right now I'm like in a mode where I'm like, I got to get over that, that mental block. So, <laughs> so I'm going to treat myself. <laughs> it's very smart. Have that little reward there, you know, something to, one thing at least to look forward to for that. And then uh, I, I don't know if this is going to be already answered with your uh, love of your My High or Vix. <laughs> It'll probably be a, a race for both of them. But uh, a big thing that I like to look at is follow the money. And that's the, the, a big thing that shows you people's priorities on what, what is important to them. So we both live in America uh, medicine is terribly expensive <laughs> and, uh, just any type of medical help is also very expensive. Um, for you, other than those two, what do you spend your, the most money on? Oh, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's, it's a race between the, my high and the VIX, but, um, <laughs> but also, uh, surprisingly like parking sometimes when I have to go to appointments, like the, just the parking for the, um, for the doctor's appointment. So not every, uh, facility that I go to has paid parking, but some of them do. And so that one, that one I've gotten rid of though, as of late with all these virtual appointments. So I'm not sad about it. <laughs> oh Yeah. So is, is there any type of, um, exercise routine that you do? I, I, I'm guessing that for primary immunodeficiency, there really isn't, there may not be like, you know, they're like, oh, if you do cardio, it will help or do anything like that. But in terms of POTS, have you found any type of exercise routine that's helped you? Yeah. So I've been adapting that lately and, um, I've found that, you know, a, a bike, is a lot better to manage than anything that's like completely upright. Mm. Um, so I have a stationary bike in my house that I've been using and then, um, any kind of exercises that I can do that are kind of horizontal, um, you know, ab workouts, pushups, things like that, that are, you know, as long as I'm not upright, they're, they're pretty good. So, um, so I've been doing a lot of things that anything that I can do, like, you know, lying down or, or just not totally standing up. Oh, very smart. I've definitely had to, to adjust the time of day that I, I work out because I can't do it in the morning with my pots anymore. I'm just, I haven't hydrated enough yet. So, um, so I really, I pushed it back to usually late afternoon. Oh, I, I feel you there. I don't know if you can see behind me, the camera may not show it. I've got my stationary bike in my office. Cause that's, you know, where I don't, I don't get to go to the gym or do any of those type of things anymore. And definitely you, you probably aren't able to do any group activity or group workouts or anything like that for during the wonderful COVID pandemic that we're <laughs> in. So Yes. Yeah, my stationary bike's in my office as well. So <laughs> in terms of diet, uh for me, primary immunodeficiency, it, just a healthy diet is probably a thing. There really isn't 
you you don't have any restrictions or anything like that. You're exactly correct. So just a, a well-rounded, healthy diet is the main recommendation. Um, certainly things like um, sugar and alcohol suppress your immune system. So, uh, so it's generally recommended to try to limit those things just to not use them excessively. But, um, but I think that's actually, I mean, alcohol is also one of the things that can irritate pots as well. So, um, but I mean, they're, they're, they're all parts of things that are just really part of normal health recommendations for, for nutrition. Got it. Cool. And then, uh, this is sort of close to that money question again, looking at how people prioritize their money. And this time we're going to look at how people prioritize their time. So the first hour of the day and the last hour of the day, if you talk to any quote unquote guru, they're going to be like, it's the most important part of your day. <laughs> if you start it correctly and you end it correctly. Uh, and I'm just curious about people and their habits because lately going back to what week it is i just doom scroll on twitter until i pass out and then i wake <laughs> up and then i'm doing the same thing over again probably isn't the healthiest thing do you have any type of morning evening rituals routines that you like to do that help pots or your primary immunodeficiency so mostly just in the morning um for both of them i try to have uh, a glass of water before i have any kind of caffeine um the primary immunodeficiency because of the side effects with the infusions. So um, I noticed if I do the infusion Monday night, if I have coffee first thing Tuesday morning, my head will hurt like it's going to explode. So um, so I do have to hydrate to help with the side effects first thing in the morning before I have an ounce of caffeine. And then with POTS, that was a good habit to be in already. So oh, yeah. Um, so I do in the morning and first thing I do, I wake up and I have a glass of water and then, um, and then I, you know, get my coffee and kind of relax, take my time getting ready. Um, evenings, I don't have anything in particular that's, um, I think significant, but, um, the hydration in the morning is number one. Very smart. Uh, does, so I uh, pots has affected my sleep and so you've got pots plus others um, does it affect your sleep at all? Have you, and have you had any issues? I actually, um, have always been the person that wakes up numerous times during the night and never knew why. And I had only recently seen it as on a, it was like on a list of pot symptoms somewhere. And it was like a little oh. light went off my head and I was like, Oh my gosh, finally, I have a reason for that. Other than just, I'm that person that wakes up five times in the middle of the night and goes back to sleep. Mm -hmm. So, um, so yeah, I do, I have a tendency to wake up very frequently, but then I go right back to sleep, but all the time. When I was first diagnosed with POTS, I made a ton of mistakes and it wasn't because I didn't have the right information. It was just because I was 19 and adamant that I could continue to live my life normally. With both your primary immunodeficiency and POTS, uh, are there any big mistakes you made in those first couple of years and or overall? So with primary immunodeficiency, I definitely had to learn the lesson the hard way that um, I needed to pace myself if I wanted to be well enough to enjoy events. And so I really had to start, especially during cold and flu season, start picking and choosing which events were really priorities um, so that I could kind of store up my health and say, okay, I'm willing to 
you know, risk getting sick at this, but I don't want to get sick at this little thing before and end up having to miss the big thing. So, um, I definitely made a lot of mistakes with that and thinking that I could do everything at all times and, and not get sick. Um, with pots, by the time that one came around, I had already kind of come to terms a little bit more with pacing myself. So mm-hmm. that one, I, I had learned a lot easier that, um, health, went first and everything else comes after. So, um, so that one, I didn't have as many really, you know, mistakes other than just living in a very hot Southern state during the time. <laughs> that I can't do anything about. <laughs> uh, I mean, we, we have a dry heat out here, so it's just 110 and you walk outside and you're completely dehydrated, right? Like right away. Yours is you walk outside and you're just drenched. 100 degrees and 100% humidity, basically. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what I, what, what's better. I think what's better is not it, it not being 110 degrees. I, I agree. We're, we're both doing that wrong. I agree. So, with your primary immunodeficiency, have you had to? Have there been any medical type emergencies where you've had to go to emergency room or urgent care? Uh, have you had many of those, or are those few and far between? few and far between. I've been very lucky that, um, that I was diagnosed really before I hit like critical mass with needing to be admitted into a hospital. Um, however, I had numerous experiences with urgent cares and what I found was very hit and miss because urgent care providers are not well-versed in um, immunology. And so I would come in and say, okay, this is what I have. This is my diagnosis. And so, I I lean very heavily towards bacterial infections, not viral. In the urgent care Mm. setting, they're so used to saying this is viral, it's going to pass, it's a cold, here's some cough drop, you know, some cough medicine or something and kind of go away and let it run its course. Yeah. I found a lot of variation in providers who would listen to what I was saying about my diagnosis, do a little Google search. I mean, I, I have no problem if they have never, most people have never heard of it. So, you know, if they need to search it and, and see the guidelines for it, no problem. Take your time. But I've also had mm-hmm. some providers that were very adamant that, um, you know, nothing that I said could change their mind and that it was viral. And then, uh, you know, a few days later I'd be, in my ENT's office or in my, in my, you know, immunologist's office getting scoped and cultured and everything else. And, um, ultimately having to pay two copays because the first provider didn't want to take the time to listen. So I I do try to avoid urgent cares now, um, because the experience can be so hit and miss for me. Got it. So if you do have to go to an urgent care or a, uh, emergency room or anything like that, do you have, I know for me with POTS, I've had to go not too many times, but a couple times. I have a hospital go bag pretty much. And I know what I need to do running around my house, throwing in this, throwing in that. Uh, do you have a sort of a emergency go bag? I don't particularly have an emergency go bag, but I do have one thing that I um, have learned to take with me. And that is um, a publication on primary immunodeficiency diseases so that I have legitimate literature in my hand when I show up and say, this is my disease. Um, and I do find that that is a little bit more helpful and it's harder for someone to, um, refuse to, (laughs) to do a little reading on your diagnosis when you have a a literal like textbook in hand and say, this is the chapter on my disorder. (laughs) 
please read this. I'll wait. It's fine. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And actually, the Immune Deficiency Foundation has published a lot of resources. And so that's one of the ones that I have used is the um, Patient and Family Handbook. They um, have gathered immunologists from all over the country to write um, chapters on living with primary immunodeficiency and different types of diseases. And so um, they provide those resources for free to patients and families. So that's one thing that if somebody needs to have on hand, they can call the Immune Deficiency Foundation and have a copy mailed to them for free to bring with them to doctor visits or ER visits or anything. That's so smart. Bring in your receipts with you right away. Not You don't <laughs> have to. No, you don't have to because I've had to convince doctors that I have POTS. I'm kind of a minority in the POTS community. I got it at 18, 19, and I'm a boy. And I would go into doctors and the, soon after my diagnosis, and they could see that I wasn't well and things were not great. And I'd be like, yeah, I've got POTS. And they're like, no, you don't. And I'm like, what? No, no, I, I do. I swear to God, I do. Watch me. I'll stand up and pass out. Like, it's a thing. And they're like, no, that's for, you know, girls going through puberty. And it's like, ah, I don't know. No, I mean, it is, it has, but there are other people. So the, the convincing of doctors is, can be exhausting. So I, I love that. I, I should have had that. I should have had a book and just handed it to him where the doctor, you know, notarized a piece of paper being like, no, seriously, this person has what they have. Well, that's where the electronic medical records systems have really come in handy um, more recently, because if you're within the same hospital system as your main provider, you know, they pull up your chart and they can see all of that doctor's notes right away. Um, but definitely it's, you know, keeping a publication on a rare disease is probably my number one tip for anybody that has to go to an urgent care or ER because it can time and headache. That's really smart. Yeah. No, you will, you will see this as its own standalone post on Instagram. I'm going to take (laughs) this because it's, it's a fantastic piece of advice. It's absolutely wonderful. I'm flattered. I wish I could take credit for it, but, um, but actually my, my patient advocate from my, um, my infusion and medication company is the one that suggested it. She's, she's a very woman with a lot of experience. Well, I'm sure somebody gave it to her and somebody gave that to them. So yeah, possibly. Oh yeah. yeah. We'll just, we'll, we'll attribute this to you and nobody will be the wiser. <laughs> I'll take it. Okay. Yeah. So a big thing in people's chronic illness journey is this concept of the first day of day one that can be the first day that you're diagnosed. It can be the first day that you experience symptoms. Uh, It can be the first day that you decide, I'm actually going to listen to my doctors and do those. I had multiple of those first days. (laughs) It's like, oh no, I'm actually going to do the things that they say. Uh, So the, the first day, the day one, it's kind of fluid but you're still starting at that first block, that first, that day one. What do you wish doctors had said to you about your primary immunodeficiency on your day one when you were first diagnosed? Well, you know, I think um, I was very lucky in that my provider was extremely thorough. Um, Unfortunately, the research and science knows about this much about my disorder. So, um, they have an effective treatment and that is one of the only things I can ask for at this moment. But the biggest thing that I would probably wish that she had told me was, um, how difficult of an insurance fight 
it would be for this medication because it is very expensive. It's, it's like $10,000 a month for the drug. So, um, so the insurance battle was three months long, um, numerous appeals and I work in insurance. So, you know, this is coming in the industry and it's saying it was so difficult. And I, you know, I know the ins and outs of this, this process. Um, so I can imagine that the average person who doesn't work in insurance would have an even harder time. Um, but I had to get, you know, my, my U S Senator for my state involved. I had to get my, um, state department of insurance involved all to get the approval to go through. And I literally at one point got a letter in the mail from my insurance company and I, I won't say their name, but, um, saying that we might consider approving this drug after you experience a life-threatening infection. And it's like telling somebody, we'll treat the high blood pressure after you have the stroke. So um, so I think that was a really overwhelming uh, process for me in the very mm-hmm. beginning was you, you spent all this time being sick, all this time searching for an answer. You finally get one. There's an effective treatment. You're like, okay, great. I'm ready to start and get my life back. And then you have this horrendous battle of somebody telling you, yeah, you know, this treatment sounds nice, but it's really expensive. So we don't think it's worth it. Um, and that was a hard pill to swallow. Um, and it's not, it's certainly not my doctor's fault, but that was the the only thing I think that if I had known ahead of time would have made it easier. Wow. What, uh, which, which Senator from Louisiana helped you? It was actually, um, Bill Cassidy. So he's a physician Mm -hmm. by trade. Um, and then has gone on to the Senate. Right. So, so of my, um, representatives in Congress, I figured that was a great place to start because he would understand the medicine side of it. And, um, and his office, you know, reached out to me within a few days and within a few days of them getting involved, um, miraculously things were moving in the right direction and were soon afterwards approved. So, um, you know, they really, were really wonderful to work with. Um, so I'm very, very lucky for his staff. I, it was, it was one of his staff members in Baton Rouge that was, um, that had responded to my, my, uh, I guess request for aid <laughs> help of any kind. <laughs> it's, it's, just, I mean, I have my, you know, gripes about the American healthcare system. Doctors are fantastically wonderful. Insurance companies are quite difficult. And for a life saving treatment you literally needed an act of congress <laughs> quite an, an act of one member of congress at least yes so, yeah. and so you, that's that's what's needed that's um that whole process is a big part of why i got involved with the immune deficiency foundation because they do have an advocacy branch for patients to participate at a state level and at a federal level um so you know, with my insurance background and the experience with the disease, um, that pushed me to get involved. And so now I am the Louisiana, um, advocacy person for IDF. So I haven't gotten to actually go testify before any committees because of COVID, but you know, when things kind of clear up and it's safe to do so again, hopefully we'll make this a little bit easier for the next person. That's, that's awesome. That's absolutely great. So with your primary immunodeficiency, uh, is there any type of practical advice that you wish you had gotten right at the beginning that would help you like cut some corners or learn, you know, it, what, would it be the routine with the infusion, anything like that, uh, in just managing the symptoms at home? 
So I think the the best practical advice that I could give anybody that's that's just been diagnosed is to before you get sick for the first time after your diagnosis, try to set up a protocol with your healthcare team. Um, and what I mean by that is who do you contact first when you start getting sick? And how do you contact them? What do you tell them? So the established protocol that I have, um, I, ha- I basically have a team that includes um, my, my primary care doctor, an ENT, ear, nose, and throat, um, and immunology. And so my first step is that I reach out to my primary care provider through their um, their app. And I send him a message on the app. And I just give a, a little blurb of what kind of symptoms, how long have I had them, um, how severe are they, and he will decide at that point if he needs to evaluate me in person. And usually that's what he has to do um, and get cultures and things like that. So he will kind of squeeze me in really whenever, wherever. And I am so grateful for him because he will squeeze me in at you know seven o'clock in the morning before a single other patient has gotten there. Or you can have a completely booked schedule. He's like, well, if you can come at two, I can see you. Um so, so that's my first step. And, and, um, if we have to go over to the ENT for some, you know, like a, a scope and culture way back in the sinuses or something like that, then we'll, we'll go there. Um, or if the infection is, is really persistent, um, and immunology is kind of my, my last step. Um, but, but I have an established protocol, so it makes it much easier to know, um, when I'm sick, who do I contact? And they kind of know to look out for it as well. And, um, and that has been a, a huge help. That's great. And because there's no thought when you get sick, it's just this reflex then. Exactly. Exactly. So I kind of go through the decision-making process. I'm like, okay, I'm feeling like this. I'm probably got something bacterial. Maybe it's time to reach out and then I know exactly who to go to and, and, um, know that, that they're going to react, um, in a, in an efficient way. Oh, awesome. That's great. So we met on Instagram. Uh, I absolutely love your account. Just give you a chance to plug another Instagram account that you like. Uh, maybe we can have them on the program at some time. Somebody you think that would be good for other people to, to, to follow, kind of give them a nice little signal boost. Well, that's I, I have quite a few that I really like. Um, but I think the account that I probably dig the most lately is um, Allergic to Life. She is in the UK and has um, like an idiopathic anaphylaxis condition. But um, despite really astronomical challenges, um, has just like the sunshine personality and and is just a real light um, on social media. So uh, I would have to say that that's probably the account that I I most enjoy following right now. Oh, awesome! I I. Don't I? I'll have to try to find them to see if I follow them. That sounds. I'm always on the lookout for you know new people and trying to learn more about different chronic illnesses. And then with with chronic illness, it's definitely a roller coaster. Uh, we've definitely touched on the lows, going to the doctor, having to do your uh, different remedies, the neti pot, the steam in the shower, all of those things. But the good thing about a roller coaster is the momentum brings you back up to the top at some point. So when you're at the top, when you're good, um, especially for you, we can make this hypothetical sans pandemic if there's no (laughs) pandemic going on. 
at the top, what do you do? You have energy. It's safe to go outside. You're not feeling down, not feeling uh, any of the results from your infusion. What do you do? Well, um, so I, I think I mentioned earlier that I grew up doing competitive gymnastics and I coach normally, not during pandemic times. I coach usually a couple days a week at, um, at a local club near me. And so I've had to take a step back from that lately, but, um, but I really do enjoy it. I call it my fun job, um, <laughs> to just go teach people how to flip and do fun stuff and prep them for competitions. And, um, and then I also, during the competitive season, I judge as well. So, um, so that's kind of my, my go-to when I'm feeling good. I'm, I'm very lucky to have found uh, a gym owner that understands illness and has really just given me the open door to say, when you're feeling well, come by. And when you're not, just let me know. And it's no problem. So, um, so I really found the perfect situation to be accommodating to, to that. Oh, that's awesome. I give you credit. Uh, competitive. I had a friend growing up in high school. She was a competitive gymnast and just the hours and the time and just the the raw skill and strength of these people, like I I ran track and cross country and played tennis. Like you know, anybody can do any of those, but you have to have <laughs> real skill to be a gymnast. Well, at, at a high level, yes, but um, but I do think the um, the introductory levels are great for uh, for learning movement and balance and and just um, you know some some normal skills at developmental levels. So, but it's, it's definitely a time commitment when you get into the competitive levels. So I spent more time there than anywhere else. (laughs) Oh, wow. Yeah, no, I can imagine. Uh, and so in speaking more of the timeline of when we're talking, uh, this has been a stressful week for pretty much a 140 million, uh, Americans, (laughs) depending on whatever side you're on, it was definitely stressful. Um, you were, you had a a great Instagram question out, uh, this week, uh, highlighting the good things in people's lives, things we can celebrate. And that really helps with, uh, combating any type of emotional burnout during this type of, uh, event. Do you have any go-to mental health, uh, combating burnout type practices? One of them is definitely trying to get a workout in. So if I had the energy, um, that always makes me feel really good is just getting that, that workout in and doing that. Um, walking my dog, I think is another one when I'm really stressed, it's kind of like, okay, let me focus on her for a little bit. And, um, and you know, kind of remember what's important. Um, but yeah, I definitely, you know, trying to see the bright side of things too, like those posts earlier in the week and trying to find, find the things to celebrate. Um, because I think, you know, when, when you're living with chronic illness, you kind of get used to a certain level of stress or, um, frustration or disappointment. And, and mm-hmm. so having those, um, those go-to methods of whatever it is, you know, if it just to focus on the positive again, I think it's really important. That's great. Uh, I'm going to be biased here with this next question. I really like this question and I think you do as well. Uh, a while ago, I had one of those weird, again, Russell Crowe, beautiful mind moments when I came to the conclusion that the Little Mermaid has pots and just the compression of the water and her being out of water, having brain fog. It was one of those enlightening moments uh, for either pots or primary immunodeficiency. Are there any fictional characters that you think looking back now, oh, it makes sense that they could have had 
this? Well, so there is a John Travolta movie from, I think it's the 70s, about the boy in the plastic bubble. Uh, That was a form of primary immunodeficiency called severe combined immune deficiency. And that's a little bit more severe than mine. So I'm going to say that probably the character that most relates to my particular primary immunodeficiency is Sneezy from The Seven Dwarfs. (laughs) Because he's got all that sinus issues going on all the time. And while mine's not you know, allergy sneeze stuff. It's still, I still relate to that. So. Oh, that's awesome. (laughs) No, I, I love this question because it's, you know, I, I wouldn't think of that. And it's just those random, if you sit down and really think of it, it's like, where would this show up? Because there are creators and entertainers and, you know, actresses and actors. Uh, Speaking of the good place, Tahani, uh, Jamila Jamil, she's a chronic illness person. She has a, uh, Danlos, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's you know they're they're absolutely everywhere. So where where does chronic illness seep into entertainment, and where do we know it from? And so you know, I guess there must have been an animator uh, back in the day on the <laughs> Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs who's like, I know exactly what it's like to always be sneezy and always be mucusy. That's a great great answer. I relate to him a lot. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And then just sort of uh, ending this on a, a, a higher note, a high note. We, we haven't, none of this was, was negative or down, you know. You're, you're a very positive person and I very <laughs> much enjoyed talking to you. With your chronic illnesses, what does happiness look like for you? What's that happy place with you living with a chronic illness? For me, it's definitely um, the milestones of being antibiotic-free. So um, right now, I am sitting at 10 months almost free of any kind of necessary antibiotic treatment. And, um, you know, I've had a lot of comments this year about you know, the few people that I've seen <laughs> that, um, that I look healthy and that there's an, a, a glow. And I think that glow is just not like the gray of chronic infections all over my face. Um, but, but yeah, the, the monitoring how long it's been since I've needed an antibiotic and, and seeing that progress, that tangible progress has been the happiest um, space for me with living with my chronic conditions. You know, the other two present their challenges, the chronic hives and the pots, but, um, really the, that antibiotic constant circus of, you know, we we need to try this one and a month long course of this. And that was just, it was so miserable. And so being free of that is, is like the happiest feeling I can, I can't express it. Oh, that's awesome. I definitely feel you there. And we we are on an ins- or a Zoom type uh, thing, and you do not look uh, chronic illnessy. You do not look <laughs> sinusy. You you can breathe through your nose. So I I can. <laughs> yeah, I I, I I do agree with uh, those people who share that uh, same sentiment. And thank you so much for being on this today. Uh, if you would like to follow Jen, she is uh, at Chronic Jen on Instagram, and you can also read her wonderful blog. It is chronicgen.com. So thanks again, Jen. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Thank you everyone for tuning into this week's episode of the Chronic Illness Playbook. 
If you haven't already, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And while you're there, we really wouldn't mind if you left us a positive comment and rating. You can find more information about the podcast at Chronic Illness Playbook on Instagram or visit us at chronicillnessplaybook.com. And to find similar content just like this, head on over to Chronic Illness Resources on Instagram or visit chronicillnessresourceguide.com. Well, that's it for me today. I really appreciate you spending some time with us. And until next time, spoons up, everybody. Chronic Illness Playbook Podcast is for informational and or entertainment purposes only and is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. The information about products and services contained on this podcast does not constitute endorsement or recommendation by the Chronic Illness Playbook. The Chronic Illness Playbook is not responsible nor liable for any advice, course of treatment, diagnosis, or any other information, services, or products that you obtain through this podcast.